I'm here with Sean Larkin from Trinity Beer Company, and you said you were in Providence, Rhode Island, correct? Correct. We, uh, we're a brew pub. We've been open since 1994 uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, I'm their brewmaster. I've been actively uh, their head brewer since 1996. Tell us a little bit about your, your brew pub there. I mean, brew house size, fermentation size, seating capacity, how many barrels a year, things like that. Gotcha. Um, we're a 20-barrel DME system. Uh, we've got six fermenters, eight Grundy serving tanks. We do about 1,200 barrels a year. Um, we're a high-volume, full-service brew pub. Uh, we're located right across the street from the Providence Civic Center, which is now called the Dunkin' Donuts Center, as well as uh, the Providence Convention Center. So during the winter months, our brew pub is pretty much a feature uh, restaurant slash brewery that services all of the event crowds that come in. And we also uh, obviously are a brew pub, so we also serve our customers that are craft brew enthusiasts. Um, during the year, we try to do at least 20 to 30 styles of beer, touch through all the, you know, the classic styles of English bitters, pale ales, IPAs, uh, Bach beers, Pilsners, German-style wheat beers, Dunkelweizen, Schwartz beers. And we also do several Belgian-style beers as well. Um, so it's pretty much uh, the biggest brew pub in Providence, um, and we're not the oldest, but we are the second oldest. So you mentioned that you were an uh, extract brewery, so... No, no, full, full, full grain, all grain. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you said, when you said DME, I thought you meant... No, DME is uh, Diversified Metal Engineering, they're a Canadian company, they uh, build brew systems. Well, there goes my next three questions. Oh, that's all right. Uh, questions were why did you have room? No, 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 how no. do you do certain styles if you can't control the mash? But okay, so throw all those out. Sorry to throw a wrench in the works. Yeah, every once in a while you run across an extract brewery, and, and, right, right. and I just thought that's what we were. Okay, so you got two beers here tonight. You have a um, an IPA and a double IPA. And these yep. things are both wicked bitter. You said the IBUs on the IPA were 120, and I'm drinking it right now, and it doesn't come across. Like your average 120. Yeah. So there's a lot going on there to help support that bitterness. Well, it has a very huge grain bill. Um, roughly around 1,210 pounds of grain go into 17 barrels of, uh, of beer. And the hops are spread out throughout the boil time. So we've got IBUs that are accounted for in the bittering side of things. We've got IBUs that are accounted for the flavor side of things and then as well as aroma. So rather than it being a... 120 IBUs all up front and bitter, it's sort of spread out throughout the beer. And obviously there is planned bitterness and then what your actual bitterness is that you'll get afterwards. We don't have a spectrometer, so we don't really measure what our actual IBUs are. After the fact, um, we just sort of have our targets. Uh, we take into account, you know, how the hops have been stored, whether or not, you know, their shelf life is decreased and try to uh, maintain our recipe formulation via that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our listeners, the, the hardcore ones, yeah. know the beers really don't get up over 100 very much. Right, right. So the 120 is more of an indication of what you put into it, Correct. not what you got out of Correct. it. Correct. Mean, we have these arguments in theory all the time. I have a, a friend who plays on my hockey team who's also another pub brewer in Providence. And there's obviously, you know, the scientific data that says, you know, the human the human palate can only taste 75 IBUs. And, and th- that is for sure... Um, for, I would think, the majority of the population. But then there are also people that are super tasters. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where we just plan to go a little bit bigger. 
Um, and there's definitely a difference in tasting that recipe versus our regular 70 IBU beers or 55 IBU beers. Um, and it's, you know, more or less a, 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 you know, a method of how we do things versus, you know, an actual measurement. Also, when you get those big 120s, you, you get 120 IBUs, you get other characteristics from the hops. Right. It, it's not just straight bitterness, but it also tells you that, you know, there may be uh, a more vegetal or grassy type character. Too. Well, you tell me. Do you do you taste vegetal grassy flavors? Not yours. I'm not talking about yours. But oh, yeah, no, that wasn't an attack. I'm, right. I apologize. Yeah, no, not yours. And But, you know, sometimes it, they'll say, okay, 120. So it also gives you another uh, lens to look at the beer through to look right. for things. And uh, let's move on to well, the 161 now. The okay, sure. Absolutely. This is our Decadence IPA. Uh, it's a bronze medal winner uh, for Great American Beer Festival last year uh, in the Imperial IPA category. It's 160 IBUs, uh, 10% alcohol, and it was also aged in a Woodford Reserve oak uh, bourbon barrel. So did this win for double IPA or for barrel-aged beer or, or what? Can you repeat the question? Did it win for double IPA or for barrel-aged uh, beer? Double IPA, yeah. So uh, the wood and bourbon flavor is very subtle into, in it. Um, you know, we've entered the GABF about six different times, you know, so each time that we've gotten results back on different beers, I've sort of taken into account what parameters are acceptable, uh, what parameters will actually get you kicked out of certain categories. Um, and this year I just decided that I wanted to submit this beer into the double IPA category. So if you're upset that it was a wood beer or your listeners are upset that it was a wood beer that got voted for a bronze medal, I would take it up with the Brewers Association. You would say it's subtle. I would say it's it's not hot or overbearing, but it's, it's a very potent Correct. and good use of oak, I find. It, 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 yes, it, it's a very good beer. The oak is done wonderfully. But, yeah, I like it. I, I haven't been chosen to judge yeah. GABF beers yet. Maybe someday. But, uh, yeah, this is really good. But yeah, I see it more as a, a wood-aged beer yes, you know, yeah. for the listeners at home. Look well, at this more of a wood-aged beer than just a straight double IPA. I think that what had happened when we had a, um, when we had put beers into oak-aged category the year prior, um, there was a mix of contrasting um, judging reviews, you know. So we, if, an example, we put in um, a Baltic Porter in a wood-aged category, and one judge was like, oh, it was too much wood, and then another judge said it wasn't enough wood. So it's not to say that the judges are incorrect. I think that everybody's palate is slightly different. And when it comes down to um, whether a beer gets disqualified from a category, there are certain characteristics that will make a beer um, not make it to the next round. So it's not that it's necessarily a bad beer. It just might be, you know, the distinction of why it didn't make it to the next round. Uh, it's like the competitive home brewers that I know. Yeah. You know, there's brewing beer two style, to the classic example. Right. It's not the same thing as brewing a beer to win a competition. Right. There's certain things you do to that classic style to make it more judge-worthy. Right. And, and it sounds like the same thing happens for professional brewers. Well, I, I think the thing, to answer the question in a roundabout way, that people have to remember is that, you know, Americans as brewers have always pushed style boundaries. And... Um, depending on who the judge is, their interpretation of styles or their interpretations of pushing the styles may also affect some of 
um, they're judging. That's not to say that they won't be accurate to what fits within a style guidelines. It just might be the subtleties or the nuances that sort of pull through that make that beer stand out amongst 50 other Imperial IPAs. I think in our category alone, there was, I want to say, 75 entries. Um, you know, so out of 75 beers, you're looking at a lot of those beers probably having similar malt bills um, or grain bills, similar hopping profiles. You know, certainly brewers are out there using the same type of high bitterness, high alpha hops, as well as aroma hops. So, you know, your Zeus, your Tomahawk, you know, your Centennials. When you're tasting 70 beers that sort of fit within that profile, it's what are the distinctions that really pop out? Which beer is really crisp? What pops out as being really dry? And what beer has, like, a significant amount of sweetness balanced with, it, you know, its hop aroma and its hop flavor? So it's, uh, I would like to think that the wood probably gave it its, you know, sort of nuance that made it pop out amongst those other beers. Yeah, it's, it's a very good beer. And uh, you're well-deserving of your bronze medal in a very tough category. Thank you So very congratulations. Much. And uh, you brew a ton of other beers. You mentioned yeah. styles. What are some of your, your big beers? What's your flagship or your big year-round, things like that? Um, pretty much our flagship stout would be our Imperial Stout. We won a, 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 a World Beer Cup Award for that in 1996. It's 100 IBUs, uh, 8% alcohol, very heavy on its roast and chocolate malt uh, profile. And the hops sort of change on that beer depending on what is available to us. In the beginning, it was a very um, American uh, forward hop profile. And depending on what you know, we're sort of searching for, what we want to marry it with, we might end up giving it some Tetanang, we might end up giving it Amarillo, um, we might get, end up giving it East Kent Goldings. So that's the beauty of having a brew pub and being able to think on your feet and also want to change things up a little bit. And having a clientele that wants that variety, that variation yeah. in beer. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, you, you serve two masters in that sense. You have the, the clientele that loves variation and loves change. And then sometimes you have that same clientele who gets upset when you sort of push the boundaries or do something new. But I think... When going to a brew pub, you need to remember that, you know, you're subject to the laws of supply and demand. Um, and for us, being one of the busiest brew pubs uh, in Providence, and certainly one of the busier brew pubs in the Northeast, you know, we end up going through a lot of what we've already had contracted. So if we run out of a certain contract, we're not going to stop brewing Imperial Stout for people. We're going to figure out another hop that we want to, you know, throw into that beer and try to make it to the best of our abilities so that our customers are, you know, satisfied in the sense of having that style on tap. You know, you're always, it's an, it's an, <laughs> it's uh, always an uphill battle when you're trying to satisfy customers because they want clarity, they want, you know, unfiltered beers, they want, you know, super hoppy beers, and then some want no hoppy beers. So it's sort of one of those things where, you know, we're always trying to please everybody, so to speak, and we try to do the best job of that. Thank you very much for the interview. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, drink beer and brew beer. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find more information on Savor or further podcasts, visit craftbeerradio.com slash savor or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.